It might seem like summer just started, but as far as Hollywood is concerned, it's already almost over. Blockbuster season in the summer, as we might call it, is pretty much done by the end of July, and August is just sort of the dregs of whatever else Hollywood has left over that they need to shuffle onto the calendar somewhere. So today, we are going to be talking about the last three hopefuls to step up to the theatrical plate, so to speak, in the hope of hitting a box office home run. And frankly, it's been a, a summer of foul tips and maybe a few stand-up singles. Yeah, but yeah, some singles, some bunts. It's been it's been a tricky, tricky summer. There haven't been any real smash home runs, with perhaps the exception of Sound of Freedom. But we're not talking about Sound of Freedom today. Hey, everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of the Plugged In Show, focused on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. Well, the three films we have on deck to talk about today are Haunted Mansion, Barbie, and Oppenheimer. Haunted Mansion comes out this week. Barbie and Oppenheimer opened last week, and there's been a ton of buzz about those two movies, but we always like to be able to be timely, so we're going to kick things off today with Haunted Mansion, and it's going to be a little bit of a different kind of show. We typically have two segments, but today we're going to do three sort of mini segments to just tell you about These big movies, in case you're wanting to squeeze one in before the kids go back to school. So before we dive into our conversation today, just a few housekeeping details. If you haven't done so already, we want you to subscribe to The Plugged In Show, and we want you to leave a review, and we want you to tell other people about it so that we can continue to have an ever-growing conversation about pop culture and technology. Well, joining me today are Emily Chow, Kennedy Unthink, and Paul Acey. Hey, everyone. Hello. Hello. Since we're going to be talking about Oppenheimer a little bit later on in our conversation today, I thought it would be fun to ask, what is your favorite Christopher Nolan movie and why? And Paul, I'm going to limit you to one because fav- <laughs> favorite actually is a word that means the one that you like most. He'll probably still try to skirt around. Yeah, and here, Paul, I'll give you an example. <laughs> um, Kennedy is here to help you, Paul. My favorite uh, is I, I'm going to actually go with the more mainstream answer and I'll say Inception. Um, I really like the whole plot line behind it. I enjoy the exploration of these dreams and how Nolan kind of is able to put all these fantastical things within it because they're in a dream, but still keep it grounded in a way. Um, And of course, I like the cliffhanger ending. The cliffhanger ending, the spinning top. Who doesn't love a cliffhanger? I love that. I know that was a do. nice I little hate touch. Cliffhangers. Also, Does Emily hates me. cliffhangers. <laughs> this just in. <laughs> no, I... it was a rhetorical question, but I'm sure glad you answered Man. it. <laughs> That's that seems like a podcast I'd like to get into. Actually, why why do you not like cliffhangers? Forty five hmm. minutes. Another podcast why? for <laughs> another time. Movies movies are a little bit more manageable, but I hate like cliffhanger seasons tv seasons because you never know if they're going to get renewed so it's like are you going to finish this story because i need answers (laughs) right yes my son and i have been finishing up the last episode of manifest which finally just trickled out to netflix but that too that one was rescued another podcast for another time back to our icebreaker where were we we at in talking about our one favorite christopher nolan movie hmm hmm well, I guess I will go ahead and go before someone pirates my answers. Arr. 
Oh, mercy. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just going to go. I, to me, it feels like the Dark Knight is too predictable for me. Okay. Right? So I'm going to go. Uh, <laughs> see what I did there? Uh-huh. I'm going to do uh, Dunkirk. Dunkirk, Dunkirk, I thought, was really, really good. I love the switching timelines. You know, it goes for an hour, a day, a week, depending on where you are. Ooh, ooh, I'm raising my hand. Yes, oh. yes. Can you call on me? Yes. If I were Dunkirk, what would I be exactly? You would be a war movie, a World War II movie, okay. which sort of dovetails into our conversation today. It does. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a quick 90 minutes. Uh, it felt really riveting. And that's like a, an opening scene for some Christopher well, Nolan movies. D- yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the one we're going to talk about no today. No doubt. <laughs> but it really kept you engaged the entire time. It was a gripping war movie that actually kept it pretty clean. Okay. Emily? Um, I really like the prestige. Oh, uh, Hugh Jackman is just like one of my favorite actors. Yeah. So uh, he's a large part of that. Um, but I remember watching that. I think I was in high school when that movie came out, and I just remember like really enjoying the twist at the okay. end. There is a um, lovely twist at the end. It, it got that we me. shall not spoil here. And I really enjoyed it. So, yeah. I haven't seen the prestige. Don't you, you know that the, the, t- I'm glad the I twist didn't spoil it is <laughs> a brother to the cliffhanger. The, right? <laughs> Dude, come on. <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> As my 16-year-old son would say, you're not wrong, Kennedy. <laughs> well, even though I have been preemptively shamed by my compatriot Paul Acey, I am going to go with The Dark Knight. Oh. Because I think even though it's a movie that from a plugged-in perspective is actually pretty disturbing. There's some violence we see and some implications of violence in some ways that are even more disturbing than what we actually see on screen. And obviously we know that that Heath Ledger's portrayal of the Joker shortly after that ended in the tragedy of, of his overdose. This is turning into a super happy podcast. Yes, thank you. But I would say he is one of the all-time great cinematic villains in that movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, his portrayal of the Joker. 100%. With the possible exception of, of Darth Vader, who cannot be dethroned. Um, man, it's right up there. I had to get Star Wars in there somewhere. Of course. I didn't ask your favorite Star Wars movie, but mine's Star say, Wars. Just to give you a, another like great villain comparison, how about Glenn Close uh, as Cruella DeVille? Glenn Close as Cruella DeVille was just, also lovely, but perhaps another icebreaker for another I podcast. I know. <laughs> now we're just That'll listing be the off icebreakers. Who's <laughs> yeah, your favorite villain? Now, <laughs> now we're just free associating. But this is actually an appropriate segue because we're talking movies today. Um, and we're going to talk about three of them. Of the three, I wonder if Haunted Mansion is the one that people may have heard the least about. I should warn you, before you step inside the house, this could change the course of your entire life. I'm not afraid of a couple ghosts. (laughs) You say that now. So, Paul AC, uh, I'm going to uh, let people know, we let you see this movie, or you let you see this movie. I let myself see this movie. Because you do the assignments on movies. um, Because it's your favorite ride at Disneyland. It is my favorite ride at Disneyland. So, and Emily, you have your hand up. Yeah, I have a question for Paul. Okay, Okay. is this, I have not seen this yet, you have. Is this a remake of the Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion that came out, like, when I was a kid? Like, is it kind of like that? Or is it closer to the ride? Because that was the scariest ride I've ever been on in my life. And I went into the Tower of Terror, you know, <laughs> like at Disney World when I when my family went that one time. So like, I just remember 
Like, it scared the heebie-jeebies out of me. <laughs> How old were you? Oh, I at that time, I was probably like eight. Yeah, oh, when the floor yeah. drops, I'm like, wait, yeah. what? Yeah, what? When the, it was what's when the floor dropped. What's happening? I can't, what? Okay, Paul. Although I have a really, I have another fun story about that ride from later in life, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so to answer your question, Emily, it is not based on the Eddie Murphy. And I think we're all glad of that. Because of know, all the yeah, really I, bad Eddie Murphy movies he's made, that was one of them. Well, I was just like wondering if maybe it was like a continuation of the story. It is not a okay. continuation. Now, they do have the same owner of the Haunted Mansion, if you will. Disney? And they, they the same t- ghost? The same is ghost. Is it the same actor playing Master, the same ghost? Master Darcy <laughs> is the owner of the Haunted Mansion. And this is sort of interesting. Here's a little bit of Haunted Mansion trivia for you. This isn't connected to like Pride and Prejudice, is it? No, it is not. But... Pride, Prejudice, and Haunted Mansions? Um, there is a book called Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. I know that. <laughs> so oh, I'm just right. saying it wouldn't have been that far of a stretch. <laughs> So Mr. Darcy, Master Darcy, is actually the owner of the Haunted Mansion. And originally, he was just a gravestone in, in the ride, right? You you line up, you're going into the Haunted Mansion, you see this this gravestone. <laughs> it, was, it was in honor of one of these all-time Disney legends that had worked for years. And no one, it, there was no backstory, but... Although Mr. Darcy sounds like a Jane Austen character. It, well, it actually, is. Actually, it, it is a is. Jane Austen character. It is. Well, there yes. you go. See? I'm here all week, folks. Paul. So, anyway, um, you have this this tombstone, and all of a sudden, the fans of the ride develop this whole legend around Master Darcy. Uh, and, and so it became sort of semi-canon, essentially because all the fans of, of the Haunted Mansion, the ride, made him the owner. And now he's sort of unofficially the owner. He has been the owner for the last two movies, okay. right? So he's sort of canon now. In this particular uh, movie... You, it really centers on this mom and her son who move into this haunted mansion to become – they want it to become like this bed and breakfast. First night do they there, know it's haunted? They do not know it's That's haunted. That's often the way it goes yes. in these sorts of movies. You would think opening up the door, seeing all the decor that they have there – that would be a clue that maybe this is not the best of places. But their, their haunted meter wasn't really dialed in. Well, that day. the son's haunted meter was <laughs> up there. He was saying, no, maybe this isn't the best thing. So, anyway, they try to leave, but they eventually come back. Uh, and all of a sudden, it sort of picks up with this priest who comes to visit this down and out historical New Orleans tour guide. Uh, the priest comes and says, I know your backstory. You invented this camera that can take pictures of ghosts. We want you to come to this mansion to either prove or dispel the fact that this, this mansion is haunted. Put, uh, put the fears of this, this mom and her child to rest. So it's sort of like the exorcist light. Because <laughs> there's a priest and there's spirits and stuff. Yeah, just kind Disney-fied. of sort of. Yeah. <laughs> So um, they go to the mansion. Um, it turns out that the guy doesn't even have working batteries for his camera. Oh, so man. he just sort of pretends that to take to pictures. He leaves. He says, there's no ghosts here. He leaves. But guess what? There are ghosts. A ghost follows him home. Ooh, that's creepy. The ghost follows haunted him apartment. home, brings him back to the, the haunted mansion. And apparently the thing is, once you set foot in the house... You can never leave. Ghosts check in, but they never check the, out. The ghosts, you know, for for fans of the rides, they know that they have hitchhiking ghosts on there. Mm-hmm. And so they sort of glom onto you like burrs. And unless you go back there, 
they'll be with you forever. They glom on like burrs. They glom on like burrs. I burs. love that sentence. So, so that's where we are. So if you are a family, you have children, you're fans of the ride, this at some level kind of sort of sounds like a fun movie, or you listen to this and you're like, yeah, full stop at ghosts. Yeah. What, what do families need to know about the content here? Obviously, we've got some spiritual things that we need to talk about. Well, I wanted to go back to what Emily was talking about on the ride. You know, the ride can be kind of scary. It's fun, but it, it does have some scary moments. Mm-hmm. This movie felt really scary for its target audience. There were some very frightening moments. There's this bride with a hatchet who's cut off five of her husband's heads, and she is very, very disturbing. Um, So if you're looking for a fun, (laughs) not-too-scary movie to take your five-year-old to, that might be a hard stop. Is it PG-13 or just PG? Definitely in PG-13 territory. There are some frightening moments. The other So even the MPA doesn't think you should take your five-year-old. That is correct. Correct. That is correct. It, the the commercials make it look pretty funny. Um, there yeah, are it looks some kind of lighthearted. You know, they bring in a lot of people who have some comedic chops. You know, Owen Wilson is in it. Uh, Danny DeVito, uh, Tiffany Haddish, she's in it as well. So you have these folks who know how to make a joke. They don't have a lot to do. The jokes aren't really that funny, to be honest with you. The other thing that a lot of our audience will want to know about is not only do you have ghosts, but you have a lot of spiritualism. There Mm. are seances. There are uh, these quasi-possessions. There are some dark spiritual elements, and the main bad guy in this can be kind of disturbing as well. Essentially, he is trying to claim not just the lives, but the souls of certain people. So It actually sounds super dark to me as you're describing it. Yeah. Yeah, it is dark. When you dig under the jokes, when you dig under the ride comedic elements to it, there are some disturbing elements here. And honestly, it didn't work that well as a movie. Well, and that was my next question. Obviously, I think when they announced that they were going to do Pirates of the Caribbean as a movie based on a ride, people kind of rolled their eyes a little bit and it became big mm-hmm. huge right. regardless of what Five you think movies later <laughs> yeah well regardless of what you think about the quality of the movies it was a box office franchise that made a lot of money it doesn't sound like this one necessarily has that kind of potential in your estimation what do you think i really don't you know one of the things that when you're talking about creating something that scares people the unknown is what does it, right? So this movie takes away a lot of the unknown. One of the thrills about the Haunted Mansion, the ride, is that there's a lot of elements that you're not really sure about what's going on. Right. There's Especially the first time you go, and especially if you happen to be really young. Well, there's a, just a lot of rooms. You don't know why there's a floating candelabra. You don't know why there's this knocking door. You don't know. There's a lot of mystery there. This movie tends to sap out all of that mystery, and it feels like it was sort of put together haphazardly. Mm. You know, mm. one of the things that set apart Pirates of the Caribbean, at least the first one, was that it had a coherent story, right? Mm. It had a story to tell. This one tries to moosh a story into, into the movie, but it feels haphazard. It feels uneven. It feels... A little bit more like a cash grab. Okay. Well, it doesn't sound like there's much positive here. I mean, am I hearing you wrong on that? 
For fans of the rides, there are a lot of callbacks. You do see a lot of elements of the ride here. You even have a cute little reference to the Doom Buggies where these chairs move around. You have the stretching walls. You have all of these elements that people who are familiar with the ride will say, ah, I remember that. So those elements can be kind of fun, but for the most part as a movie, it just doesn't work that well. All right. So that is Haunted Mansion, and that is out in theaters this week. Thank you, Paul. And we shall now move along to another exercise in nostalgia. It seems like we're mining the past these days for (laughs) everything we can get our collective hands on. And by we, I mean Hollywood. We're actually not mining the past. Emily, Barbie, what do we need to know about Barbie? Hey, Barbie. Can I come to your house tonight? Sure. I don't have anything big planned, just a giant blowout party with all the Barbies and plant choreography and a bespoke song. You should stop by. So cool. Barbie kind of surprised me in that I was expecting it to be a lot more adult than it actually ended up being. So the movie is PG-13. And the thing that stood out to me is like, really and truly, the things that made it PG-13, like there's a couple of like language problems. The F word is bleeped out at one point, but that's as bad as it gets. Like there's not even, there's no S words or anything. So the language is actually really light for a pg-13 for a pg-13 movie like there's almost none in it and then i think you get into the sexual content and that's where it gets a little bit more pg-13 there's definitely some verbal euphemisms but nothing graphic that is actually happening on screen okay um so some innuendo and some suggestive stuff there's some innuendo and suggestive stuff um really and truly i think maybe the biggest thing that audiences are going to be curious about in terms of sexuality is one of the female Barbies is portrayed by a trans actor. Um, So, you know, if you didn't know that that person was trans, you probably just wouldn't, you wouldn't know. Okay. And I know some families are, that's going to be unapproachable for them. Right. Um, So what is the storyline here? Yeah, no. So storyline wise, you have, you've got Barbie, and she's living in a Barbie world, literally. Right? Um, and this world, the way it is in the movie, is it exists kind of parallel to our own. At one point, somebody asked, so is Barbie land, is it an alternate reality? Is it an imaginary place? And the Mattel executives just say, yes. well i'm glad we got that solved yeah so that's what it is but when barbie is living there all of a sudden she starts having this sense of existential dread and she as you would expect barbie to do well well literally she's sitting there dancing with her friends having a great day because every day is a great day for barbie you know and all of a sudden she's like do you guys ever think about dying (laughs) <laughs> and everything just comes to a screeching halt. And she's like, because I'm dying to keep dancing. Like, she's super <laughs> awkward. But then the next day when she wakes up, her life is no longer perfect. And essentially what happens is the girl who's playing with her in the real world um, is sad. And that is now seeping into Barbie's life. Okay. So she has to go to the real world to make the girl happy to fix her own life in Barbie land. Okay. And I'm assuming from the trailers that Ken turns up here somewhere too. So what? Yes. So tell us a little bit about that dynamic. So Barbie 
every day is a great day for Barbie because she's a Barbie in a Barbie world and everything is literally catered to her and her needs as a Barbie. Ken only has a great day if Barbie looks at him. So, <laughs> like, it's not just whether or not she looks at him. It's, you know, because he's actually competing with every other Ken out there, you know. So he's dealing with some issues with jealousy. He's dealing with some issues of identity. He doesn't really know who he is. And uh, he follows her to the real world to help her fix her life. And I don't want to give away everything, but things get a little crazy uh, when they realize that the way things are in Barbie land is nothing like the real world. In Barbie land, everything is catered to Barbie. In the real world, not things so are much. not not so much. Like, And she, she's not even bothered by the fact that she is a doll. Um, I think she's actually just more bothered by the fact that she becomes objectified because she is literally an object. Um, and the whole movie, uh, and this is another thematic element families will probably want to watch out for, the movie is an essay on what women in the real world go through on a day-to-day basis, what we feel, what we experience. Um, So it sounds like it connected with you as a woman. Yes, a lot. They voice some concerns. You know, you don't always feel safe walking down the street. You know, Mm. that was one of the big concerns that stood out to me. Um, I think it's also one of the most controversial things that conservative families might argue with is, you know, they portray this culture of toxic masculinity in the real world. I don't think it's quite as extreme as it's portrayed in the movie, but I could see where they're, they're basing everything off of an extreme stereotype. And they're kind of doing that on purpose because Barbie herself is an extreme stereotype. So it's kind of like, we really want to show you the difference between these two things and how it is perceived when you are a woman. So with regard to the theme of feminism, it sounds like some people are going to connect with that in a positive way. Others might feel like it is maybe exaggerated or overdone and and maybe in a way that really turns them off. Is that a fair statement? That is a fair assessment, but I kind of just want to say this. I feel like if it's exaggerated, it was done on purpose because, sure. again, they're trying to make a statement here. They're trying to point out, like, it, they're making it extreme on purpose because Barbie herself is an extreme, as I said before. I think that, and at the end of the day, they're trying to get us to a point where there's true equality. Okay. It doesn't happen because, again, Barbie Land is a reflection of the real world, but. They are just saying, like, hey, this is the goal of an ideal society. Like, this is what we would like you guys to kind of understand, and maybe someday we can get to that. Okay. Well, it sounds like as you've talked about it, even though we might think this is a superficial comedy, there's actually quite a bit of nuance and quite a few things going on. Some families may choose not to engage with that and some may be able to have a great conversation afterwards. I think that more than anything, it's a great catalyst for conversation. Okay. We talk about conversation a lot on the Plugged In Show and how important it is for you to talk about the things that you're choosing in your entertainment and technology worlds. And since Barbie came out and even since we had this conversation, we have been having a lot of conversation on our team about this movie. 
Barbie deals with a lot of subjects that have to do with femininity and masculinity, as you've just heard. And it has been an ongoing conversation for us. And I think more so than usual, we would encourage you to read the full review of Barbie and look at any of the content concerns that are particular pain points for you and for your family that maybe we did or didn't touch on in our conversation so far. And speaking of movies with themes and nuance and content, I think that the three hours of Oppenheimer brings all of those to the table. Kennedy, what is going on with Oppenheimer? Are we saying there's a chance that when we push that button, we destroy the world? Chances are near zero. Near zero. What do you want from theory alone? Zero would be nice. Yeah, so Oppenheimer is obviously uh, based on Robert Oppenheimer. He's the scientist who uh, kind of spearheaded the effort of the atomic bomb on the Manhattan Project. And the movie really goes through about two different stories, which honestly, a lot of people in the theater, as we were leaving, were saying, well, those probably could have been two different movies. Yeah. <laughs> but that's beside the point. Yeah. The whole movie is initially based around Oppenheimer. He's trying to get his uh, security credentials renewed. Uh, they got denied before, so he decided to appeal it. And he's sitting there. He's trying to... And we're in like the present yeah, as far well, as the movie is concerned. Present as far as the movie is concerned. Yeah. Right. Um, and so you see these scenes in black and white, which are indicative of this is happening in Oppenheimer's present. Um, and he's they're talking to him. They're afraid of him because they think he might have some connection to the communists. Yep. And it's currently Cold War era, so... Uh, everyone's a little freaked out about that right now. Yeah, we're in the heart um, of the Red Scare. But then we also flash back to these colorful scenes that are Oppenheimer's kind of more idealistic, uh, we're going to build this bomb in order to save the world. Mm -hmm. And so that the two-story part, and you can correct me if I'm off on this, we sort of get the story of the bomb being built, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of drama there. Um, and there's a little bit of comedic relief, like... Albert Einstein yeah. shows up and he's kind of a funny character actually. Mm -hmm. And then there's the story of concerns that maybe Oppenheimer has connections with the communists and all of the relational reasons. So one of the themes that I actually noticed uh, while we were watching the Oppenheimer uh, movie was that uh, there's really this sense of, well, Oppenheimer doesn't really know who he is mm. or what he believes. Uh, you see uh, his, his... So he's sort of like Ken from Barbie. Exactly. <laughs> Only, I think it's fair to say, smarter. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he's, well, he's sitting there and he's, uh, <laughs> he's talking with his brother, for instance. And his brother is a staunch member of the Communist Party. And his brother doesn't understand why Oppenheimer just can't get behind the Communist Party. Now, to be clear, Oppenheimer's not opposed to it. He's just not for it either. Yeah. And he's just not opposed or for pretty much anything else either. Hmm. Um He's kind of a chameleon. Yeah. And so when it comes to the bomb, he, he gets to this point where everybody's just cheering him on because they're constructing this atomic weapon. But he's having these conflicting thoughts because he's thinking about the effect of yeah. that bomb. And he's thinking about, well, we are going to have to kill some real people. Right. And so he's conflicted on this. And 
that kind of brings us to those black and white scenes where it becomes kind of an indictment against him of why were you not a staunch patriot for this? Why were you doubting these things? Why are you for the atomic bomb? But now that we want to build a hydrogen bomb, you're not as on board. What What's the deal with all that? Um, so there's really this theme of Oppenheimer doesn't really know what he wants or what he believes in. And that actually kind of bleeds into some of the content issues too. Yeah. Because, for instance... He's a womanizer. Yep. <laughs> he doesn't really know what woman he wants. Hmm. Um, they even describe him in the movie as a womanizer. Yep. He is, you, you see him having these illicit conversations with various women, even some who are married. Um, and you also see a few sex scenes. Um, they're uh, quite explicit. Uh, you know, no, no hardcore stuff, but uh, you, you will see a couple things. So be on the lookout for that. In terms of violence, surprisingly for a movie that's technically a World War II movie, (laughs) there's not really any violence other than, you know, there's a scene where he's kind of visualizing the effects that the bomb uh, has on people. Yeah. And uh, he kind of has this kind of somewhat hallucination of where he steps like through the body of a charred corpse. Yep. Um, which is probably, that's about as graphic as it gets violence-wise. And, of course, you're going to have some swearing. There's there's a few F-words and S-words that are thrown about. Yeah. Yeah, I, I found it, and you might have figured out, I saw the movie, too. Kennedy and I saw the same screening. Mm-hmm. And um, it is the first movie Christopher Nolan has done with explicit sex scenes and nudity in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'll definitely want to check out our full review on that. And, you know, I think whenever a director makes a decision like that, you can always step back and ask the question, man, yeah. did you have to have this to tell the story? Obviously he felt like he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it, it pushes it into R rated territory. Oh yeah, definitely. And if you're a Christopher Nolan fan and you're not doing your homework, that might come as a little bit of a shocker when those scenes turn up in the definitely. Movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then in terms, uh, going back to the story a little more, yeah. um, I think one of the things just story-wise that was a little difficult was there are so many actors. Oh, yeah. Uh, so many names yep. and so many people with accents and, and people who only appear in one scene who are referenced 20 times later on. Yep. And you just get to a point where people start talking about like, oh, well, Teller said this. And I'm sitting there like, wait, who's Teller? I got to <laughs> look at my – who's Teller? Again? Right. <laughs> and, so a quick question. It's about three hours long, right? Mm-hmm. Did it yep. feel long? Yeah. Uh, it definitely gets to a point where you might start checking your watch a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there are, like I said, it definitely feels like it's kind of two movies that were kind of smashed into one. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you do have this story of Oppenheimer creating the bomb and, you know, they're putting together the team and they're they're finally figuring out how it's all done. Now, once that story ends, we still have about an hour of this kind of legal battle that's been happening kind of interspersed throughout that story. And then we kind of just jump into that for the rest of the movie. Mm, Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And that's why it kind of felt like two movies, really. Mm -hmm. Um, Kennedy, you and I talked afterwards. There were quite a few themes that touched on spiritual things without necessarily sort of plumbing the spiritual depths. but. Talk just super briefly about what some of those spiritual themes and moments might be. Yeah, so one of the things that I really picked up on was they kind of describe, or not kind of, they explicitly describe Oppenheimer as this sort of prophet among 
among physicists. Yeah. They say, well, when we look at you, we see a prophet. When people look at anyone else, they just see another physicist. Yeah. Um, and it's him talking to another Jewish man, and they're both kind of relating this to Old Testament uh, imagery. And the guy warns me, he says, but a prophet can never be wrong, not yeah. even once. Mm. Um, and that kind of relates kind of to Nolan's more pessimistic view yes. uh, that the movie takes because you kind of see that Oppenheimer throughout the movie isn't really wrong in right. a lot of ways he does. And you kind of start to see all these predictions of if we go this way, the world is going to end. Yep. Mm. And that's kind of what the movie leaves you with. It's kind yeah. of just this like, oh, that's kind of sad. Yeah. Um, but that's that's really how Nolan, I think, really wanted it to be. It, yeah. it really is a, hey, think about how horrible this weapon is. Mm-hmm. And that's really what he wants to get across. Yeah, I mean, it feels like a cautionary tale pulled from the early days of, you know, the atomic age and mm-hmm. as a warning right now uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, if you think we're in the clear on the possibility of the world being destroyed by a nuclear war, we're not. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's a very, very strong message at the end in that respect. Um, I mean, I thought it was a, a really engaging film, but one that definitely, as we've talked about, has issues that you have to navigate. Oh, yeah. Uh, the movie actually is based on a book uh, called American Prometheus. And if you don't know mm, the, the yeah. mythology of Prometheus, uh, well, Prometheus is this kind of a demigod who brings fire down to man so that they can finally have fire. And he, he defies the gods in doing so. Um, and they kind of describe Oppenheimer. He is um, the, this American Prometheus. He has brought down a forbidden thing for the world to use and now you have to deal with the consequences of it yeah when i listen to you guys talk about it i think about frankenstein you know the original book about frankenstein and there's all these questions sort of burrowed in here about man can do some amazing things should they do it Mm yeah you know and it, it does feel like nolan is asking the question is this a step too far and you can ask that about so many different areas of our lives today yeah yeah, and I think that's probably a good place to to bring this one in for a landing. Thank you, Kennedy. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Paul, for letting us know what's going on with these three big end-of-summer movies. Well, now we come to a part of the show we like to call Pop Culture Connection, in which we are joined by Ashley, our producer. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Adam. And she has some amazing questions to amazing. ask each of us, and our goal is to give as many answers as we possibly can, even though some of us like quality answers. Quality does not score points. Curses. Quantity scores points. Ashley. All right. has never understood. Over to you. Generation. Kennedy, you're up first. (laughs) Okay. All right. If you could be any fictional character, who would you be and why? Oh, man. Um, Hmm... Listeners, help me out. Uh, <laughs> Phone a friend. Um, goodness, I, I don't remember any fictional characters. Be Legolas. No, I'm going to be Aragorn. See? Because Aragorn right. is just the best. 
Everybody likes him. Nobody hates him. Uh, he's got a really cool sword. He's got cool hair. He's the future. He's the the king of the Numenorians. He, nice. He's just the best. Nice for he's right. just the by, best. By saying you, that, Emily. it forced you to make a decision, though. Yes. <laughs> it Emily worked. is here to help. I got five <laughs> points. Yeah, I don't know Good why. Job. The entire time I was sitting there thinking about fictional characters, I could only think of <laughs> Percy Jackson for some reason. <laughs> and really, like, nobody wants to be Percy Jackson. Jackson. <laughs> I'd rather not get points. <laughs> Nice job. All right. Emily, would you choose TikTok or YouTube and why? YouTube all the way. TikTok is just this smorgasbord of human culture that I am not interested in. It's addictive. There's I spend way too much time on the internet anyways. I do not need to be on TikTok all day long. YouTube actually has some good content that is entertaining. I can share it with my family. I can watch it on a regular TV instead of a phone. Um, and I just ran out of steam. I have no idea what else. But honestly, just I am the anti-TikTok person. I hate it. I don't want it. <laughs> Wow. Six points. That was amazing. <laughs> that was pretty good. I think that's going to be hard to top. That will be hard to top. All Paul right. will give one long answer. You never know. You that's never know. true. I I've, don't. I've won don't. this game a couple of times. That's true. And forgive me for selling you short. Thank and you. And now back to Ashley. Thank I'm, you. I'm excited to hear Paul's answer on this one. Oh, goodness. Would you choose classic rock or classical music and why? Oh, man. You know what? I think I would go classic classic rock okay because because there's just a lot more variety you get some cool guitar solos you have the drum solos you don't have a lot of that in classical music not a lot of mozart drum solos uh you do have big hair you have some really sweet songs that speak to your innermost being you can go to concerts and they're much rowdier than classic rock or classical concerts i have one argument you said big hair right i'm sorry oh did mozart not is he not the guy the with wigs? the big wig? Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, Paul, did you say that classic rock has more variety? variety? Than yeah, that was another one. <laughs> well, he's not wrong. Wow. No, he is wrong. He is wrong. And I mean, you classical have... music is all well, classical. You haven't really to enough classical music. You think there's not five hours. There was a classical pianist. I have listened to more classical okay, well, music. Than all y'all put maybe she only played one type. Maybe she only played one type. I think we've thrown quality out the window today. <laughs> Okay, That's well, six points, Paul. Ooh, Ooh tied with Paul. that. <laughs> Excellent. Ex- I was so proud of you for that answer. <laughs> I, it was really tough. I had a hard here, time Here's the thing, though, real quick. I want the listeners to please weigh in because oh, yes. I really yes. disagree with you, Paul. Classic rock or classical music. <laughs> so much. <laughs> I really, I, it was so difficult. It was so difficult. It's anyway. Difficult. Yeah, well, so here's the thing. viewers get on classic and let us rock know. <laughs> has some classical music in it, but classical music almost never has classic <laughs> rock right. in it. Although, I wonder the why. new Def Leppard album they just did with a symphony, so maybe that blows my argument up anyway all right adam yes if you could have a superpower what would it be and why oh flying because you could get up in the air you could dive with peregrine falcons you could travel around the world very quickly you could take people on rides and charge money and get rich because you have flying power if you were Um, strong sorry go ahead (laughs) paul you just derailed my answer i was on a roll and strength come with this keep going adam (laughs) I mean, flying. Who doesn't want to fly? Right. I think flying would be awesome. Yes. Um, if cool. you could, if you didn't have to breathe, you could go to outer space. But that would be a different power, according to Paul. <laughs> I was on like a. Uh, I, I was, am I was so a, sorry. I that was, was in a, a high score kind of <laughs> that mode, was and then wrong. Paul just. 
you know, I felt like I got broadsided by a pickup truck in an intersection. No, I, I, that was totally out of line. All right. No all capes. Right. No case. Diving with peregrine falcons, I, though. That yeah, that was pretty very good. specific. I mean, I would love to. Hey, buddy, <laughs> let's do it. Dive, dive, dive. I, I do think some of your logic was flawed in that answer, but that's just me. All right, okay. our winners today are Paul and Emily. Good job, guys. <laughs> I will try harder next week. Yeah, nice job. Yeah, nice job. Well, I always love ending our podcast on a fun note. So thank you, Ashley, for of course you bring the fun. Ah, and uh, actually, it's a team effort. We all we all kind of bring the fun. But Ashley brings the fun. We just bring the wrong answer. That's right. <laughs> That's right. But we also hope on the Plugged In Show that we bring some right answers for you too. And I hope as we've talked about these three movies today, um, there's been some information. There have been some ideas. There have been some things for you to think about as you consider whether these films are right or not for your family. And as always, you can go to PluggedIn.com and get our full review for them. And we would love to hear from you. Have you seen any of these movies? Are you planning on seeing them? What concerns do you have? You can let us know, and you can do that a couple of different ways. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram, or shoot us an email at team at thepluggedinshow.com. But we also want to remind you of a new way that you can connect with us as well. At thepluggedinshow.com, you can leave us a voicemail, a message we might even use on the show. Just look for the vertical voicemail tab on the right side of the page. And while you're there, we'd encourage you to sign up for the Plugged In e-newsletter as well. We send that out every Friday. Not only will it tell you what's on the show, but you'll see other reviews and blogs that we've published at Plugged In that week as well. Well, thanks again for spending some time with us at the Plugged In Show this week. We know there are lots of ways in our media-drenched world that you can choose to spend your free time. We are honored that you have joined us. We would love having you at the table of this conversation with us. We want to hear from you. And of course, we look forward to joining you again next week on another episode of The Plugged In Show. As a parent, it's easy to find myself sitting backseat to my kids in the back seat. It's tough to be a step ahead. In full honesty, I'm pretty hard on myself when that happens. But I've found Practice Makes Parent, a podcast from Focus on the Family, hosted by Dr. Danny Huerta and Rebecca St. James. It helps me be more intentional and not feel alone when things get tough. Everything they share is practical and well-practiced, and I can use it right away. Listen to Practice Makes Parent wherever you get your podcasts.